0: It's important to know Dark Days of Dorothy Gale is solely a reimagining of the novel The Wonderful Wizard of Oz and not the 1939 film or any other iteration of the story. Dark Days of Dorothy Gale Aftermath For Episodes 31 and 31-2 Chapter 41 of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale The Quadling Ruins And Chapter 22 of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz The Country of the Quadlings Woohoo! Man! We are nearing the end. This week's episode brings us that much closer to the inevitable end of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale. And it brings us that much closer to the end of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. In fact, there are only two more episodes of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz left, and one of them is less than a minute. I know, I know, it seems silly to hold off on dropping those last two episodes, but there's a lot of Dark Day's story that just doesn't line up with the source material. You know the drill by now. There's a lot to unpack this week, so let's just get to it. This week, we are taken to yet another locale. But I suppose that's to be expected. There's very few repeat locations throughout this story. It's really a story of progression and persistence. Once Dorothy is out of the greys, she doesn't go back. Once she and Mr. are out of the woods, she never goes back there, either. Cities like Nitfis are not returned to. We return to Ildayed after the great desert, I suppose but not in any real, meaningful way. We return to Emerald repeatedly, as it's not only at the heart of the land, but at the heart of the story as well. But for the most part, once Dorothy leaves a place behind, she just doesn't return. This week, the travelers find themselves at the base of a large Mayanesque ruin, I'm sure there's an actual name for what they came across, like Pyramid. I don't know. Is it actually a pyramid? I mean, it's not like a perfect triangle like you would see other more traditional pyramids. You know what I'm talking about, though, right? One of those big, square, stair-steppy things. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and Google it right now. If I don't, it's going to bother me all day. And if it's bothering me all day, there's a chance that it's bothering at least one of you out there as well. So, hold on. I'll, I'll be right back. Yeah, yep. Looks like they're called pyramids. I guess I could have just called it a temple as well. An ancient quadling temple. That actually sounds a little bit cooler than large Mayanesque ruin. Or pyramid, anyway. Dorothy decides it's probably best to go over it. Go around it, they might get lost. And through sounds like a bad idea as well. In my head, going through was never really an option. I had a plan for this chapter, and it did not involve the interior of this structure. Even though there's probably some pretty cool claustrophobic scares that could be had in there. On top of this large ruin is sort of a tent city. I actually kind of imagine a hobo village or hobo town. Sort of an under-the-bridge vibe with cardboard boxes and constantly burning garbage fires. Of course, the quadlings don't have cardboard boxes and modern trash cans. I just imagine it being kind of dirty and cluttered. Like a homeless encampment. They're very cautious not to look inside any of the tents, even though they're extremely curious. Of course, they're greeted by the sound of kettle drums boom, boom, booming. I'm not going to lie. The kettle drums are inspired by one of my favorite books to read to my children. Hepcat. He's got a big show, man, but he's all out of inspiration. So he travels the city and listens to all the sounds around him. And at one point, Hepcat hears thunder and he compares it to the sounds of kettle drums, man. And yes, that is the voice. I use when I read that to my children. I might not have ever thought of using kettle drums otherwise. In fact, I'm not even sure I knew what the heck kettle drums were before I read that book to my daughter the first time. Instead, I might have said something like, they were greeted by the sound of thunderous war drums echoing through the air. Hmm... You know, I actually kind of like that better. But anyways, the point is, inspiration comes from everywhere. And you thought it was only Silent Hill and video games. Sometimes the horror comes from... children's books. Things go from bad to worse in the blink of an eye here. Mister is taken out immediately, impaled on a large pike, and raised into the air. The line... Why does everybody uh, hurt me? is one of the most impactful lines in the book. If you haven't noticed by now, if it hasn't been clear by now, there is a fairly direct parallel between Mr. and Dorothy. Mr. loses his mother. Dorothy loses her parents, most notably her mother. He is constantly being tormented. Dorothy is constantly being tormented. Dorothy's history and the trauma she's been through is explored in greater, more disturbing detail in the second book as well. But we're not there. We're still in the first story. While they may not be one in the same, they are very much cut from the same cloth in many ways. When you get right down to it, there's a little bit of Dorothy tucked away in many of the characters, but it's Mr. that really identifies with her. The quadlings in my book differ greatly from the quadlings in Baum's version of the story as well, but that, of course, is not saying the inspiration isn't clear. In Baum's version, the hammerheads and the quadlings are two very different things, In my version, they're one and the same. Baum describes the Hammerheads as having no necks or arms, but had the ability to shoot their heads out like a jack-in-the-box. He didn't use the term jack-in-the-box, but that's kind of what I imagine. In Dark Days, I decided instead of long necks hidden under wrinkly chins, that my characters would have long giraffe-like necks. The women, anyway. And they would be armless. Again, the women. The men, on the other hand, would be just the opposite. No necks, but would have long arms. So long, in fact, that when they use their arms to stand, their feet dangle above the ground. Dorothy is about to be attacked by a couple of lady quadlings. They're whipping their heads around like dueling giraffes. If you have never seen a giraffe fight, pause this podcast right now and go to YouTube and just look up dueling giraffes. It's that interesting. Just go ahead, pause it. It, It's okay. I'll be right here when you hit play again. It is wild and one of the craziest things you'll ever see. I'll wait. Hey, you hit play again. And that's pretty cool. Or did you not pause this? I can tell some of you out there didn't pause and look up dueling giraffes. And to you, I'm very disappointed. You would have been so happy. It may have even made your day. But, oh well, your loss. So, anyway, I'm glad you're still here. Or glad you came back. Dorothy is paralyzed here. Her brain says run, but her body says otherwise. The lion quickly takes the two lady quadlings out, but that's not saying she's safe. Instead, she's attacked by four male quadlings. This is probably the most abhorrent thing to happen to Dorothy in this book. One quadling straddles her left arm, one her right, one her legs, and one on top of her straddling her midsection. The details in this chapter get a little bit graphic in the way I describe the assault. And it is of sexual nature. I won't go into detail here. If you listened to the chapter, you know what I'm talking about. I try to keep the Aftermath episodes PG-13 at most. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but I don't even curse in these episodes. And when I do, I bleep them the f- out. I generally try to keep them fairly light-hearted as well. Unfortunately, there's nothing really light-hearted about this portion of the chapter. She manages to kick the one on her legs away, and is saved in part by the lion taking out one of the quadlings on her arms. With two down, one runs off in fear, while the last one climbs on top of Dorothy. She manages to get her knife and thrusts it into the remaining attacker's throat. It's at this point, much like China country, that everything stops. There are moments in this story that are undeniably repetitious. Dorothy is overpowered, or about to be, pushed to the brink. She has a show of strength that brings the world around her to its knees. And while, yes, on the outside, that might seem shallow and repetitive, I would argue that beneath the surface, it's more than that. This entire story is an evolution of the character. Remember, she showed up in Oz, terrified, and shakily waving a steak knife at two munchkins. She didn't fight the ogre when she saved Mr., in fact, she was very much afraid of what would happen next. She was a victim of the trees, saved by the woodman, reliant on the woodman once again when the lion showed up. Helpless and nitvis as the haunted estate overtook her mind, body, and soul in her sleep. It wasn't really until she got to Emerald that she really stood up for herself and demanded entry to the city. She didn't fight Reginald, but she did refuse to be held captive. And maybe she would have fought if things had gone just a little bit differently. She didn't kill Krista, but she did instruct the lion to. I could go on, but I think you get the point. Skipping ahead to China country, she still avoided violence. She crushed the queen by accident. She kills this quadling on purpose both out of self-defense and anger. She even goes into the crowd and pulls two men out by the hair in order to retrieve Mister. In the same sense of Mister being a parallel to Dorothy, we also see the lion in the same way. He's pretty cowardly for a long time, or at the very least, weak. But he's following the same trajectory as he becomes more comfortable with his strength more at ease with violence. This chapter in particular raises the questions of what would the beginning of the book be like if Dorothy was then what she is now? Would the ogre have been an issue? Would the woodman have turned against her? Would the lion have even attacked her? Would the queen of the field mice still be alive? And would the stork have survived also? Of course, if she started out fearless and strong, this story would be completely different. It would be the kind of thing I generally hate. A stranger in a strange land, already a force to be reckoned with. Dorothy is not a battle-hardened warrior. She doesn't suddenly become a skilled assassin just because she's surrounded by violence. She is a regular person. On top of that, she is a survivor, and hopefully a realistic one at that, a character that is molded by her experiences, her successes, and her failures. This week, in The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, we see the travelers confronted by the Hammerheads, but in a much less harmful and scary way. Do I really have to say it? I mean, do I really have to? I feel like you, my dedicated listener, that's hopefully plural, already have a pretty good idea of what I'm talking about. The country of the quadlings chapter, just like the fighting trees, just like the dainty China country, just like the lion becomes the king of beasts, feels rushed and shallow. Dorothy and her friends are confronted by a group of mountain-dwelling, flat-headed ruffians. So they use that, you know, whatever device, called the golden cap, to get the winged monkeys to fly them over the danger. There really isn't much more to it than that. Maybe there's a scholar out there that has some theoretical insight into who or what the Hammerheads represent, but to me, they represent Baum riding himself into a corner and conveniently flying himself out. This land is infinitely interesting. These people are infinitely interesting. But we really don't get anything out of this chapter. Or at least, I didn't, anyway. I guess there is that fun moment where the Scarecrow, like, kind of stands up to them and is all like, Well, I hate to break it to you, but uh we're going to go through anyway, okay? Is that, is that cool? Because really, what are you going to do? You guys have no arms. And, of course, he's hit by their weird flat heads. And then you get that part where the lion just kind of steps up and roars and is (laughs) is all like, oh, you guys are really asking for trouble now. And he gets hit too and then changes his tune to something more along the lines of, oh, well, I guess I, uh, I don't know what to do now. Any, any ideas? So, you know, there is that, I suppose. But other than that moment, there's Really not a whole lot of crazy, interesting stuff. As I mentioned earlier, the Hammerheads and the Quadlings are two different people in Baum's book. The Quadlings are pretty much the same thing as Munchkins and Winkies. They just wear different colored clothes. We do get that much closer to Glinda, however, as the travelers find themselves at the gate to her palace and greeted by two guards who eventually let them in. This chapter is short. It doesn't really showcase anyone's talents or strengths, and its sense of adventure sounds much more intriguing and grand than it actually is. If I missed something or failed to address something you feel I should have, by all means, let me know. I'm always open to questions, comments, or constructive criticism. You don't have to like what I make. That's totally cool. But you can still be nice about it. I know you can. I believe in you. You can find me on Twitter, where it's Dark Dorothy G. You can contact me through the old email, that's Gale at Outlook.com. You can find me on Instagram, where it is, the ordinary sun. That's S U N. Also, if you're interested, there's a Facebook page that, rarely, and I do mean rarely, gets updated. And I have an actual Dark Days of Dorothy Gale website. How cool is that? It's D D of D G dot com. Currently, it's pretty bland, just some artwork, contact information, summary of what Dark Days is, you know, stuff like that. At some point, there's probably going to be links to t shirts and stickers and other fun stuff, but for now, it's pretty basic. You can, however, listen to every episode straight from the site. No extra download, no login, no account, no nothing. All you need is your listening ears also looks way better on mobile than on desktop i guess that's just the way the world is these days again that's dd of dg.com if you tune in exclusively for the wonderful wizard of oz chapters i have some bad news i won't be reading any more of it for a couple weeks That was probably a bad place to pause. Unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, the next two weeks will be nothing but dark days. There are only two chapters left in The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, and there's like 15 or so left in Dark Days of Dorothy Gale. The next six chapters of Dark Days have no wonderful equivalent. I just kind of went rogue on the adaptation here. On the bright side, though, in the upcoming weeks, you're going to be treated to, or maybe subjected to, weeks with extra episodes of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale. I hope all that made sense. Anyway, come back next week for three more chapters of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale. Chapter 42... The Ocean and the First Island, Chapter 43, The Second Island, and Chapter 44, predictably, The Third Island, and of course, the usual Aftermath episode. Thanks for listening. I love you all.